important to note that suddenly, and against all probability, a sperm whale had been called into existence several miles above the surface of an alien planet. And since this is not a naturally tenable position for a whale, this innocent creature had very little time to come to terms with its identity. This is what it thought as it fell. Ah, whoa, what's happening? Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What do I mean by who am I? Okay, okay, calm down, calm down, get a grip now. Ooh, this is an interesting sensation. What is it? It's a sort of a tingling in my... Well, I suppose I better start finding names for things. Let's call it a uh, tail. Yeah, tail. And hey, what's this roaring sound? Whooshing past what I'm suddenly going to call my head. Wind. Is that a good name? It'll do. Yay, this is really exciting. I'm dizzy with anticipation. Or is it the wind? There's an awful lot of that now, isn't there? And what's this thing coming towards me very fast? So big and flat and round, it needs a big, wide-sounding name like Ow! Round! Round! Ground! That's it! Ground! <laughs> I wonder if it'll be friends with me. Hello, Ground! Curiously, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of petunias as it fell was... Oh, no, not again. Hi, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, your seriously pointless podcast about all your nerdy and geeky news throughout the ages. And I think that's what we're going to stick with, guys, because I think it sounded pretty good last time. I think we're going to stick with it. So does that sound good to you, James? It does. All right. So today, guys, we're kind of going off the beaten track a little bit. We're going through a uh, going to go over a, a an IP that has kind of touched a little bit of a multiple areas uh throughout the throughout the years even beginning at the beginning of uh video game kind of like we're gonna blast back to 1979 that's right we're gonna go over uh the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh this is actually a favorite book of james and i's absolutely the humor is just off the walls um douglas adams was well before his time he's like He's kind of like the 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 troll before they're trolls, but it's snarky. This is the a granddaddy bit. of science fiction comedy. Absolutely, um, it, it actually started as a radio broadcast before it was a book. I didn't know not. that actually. And we'll talk a lot more about that later. But this is this was like a, kind of an answer to the very serious like War of the Worlds broadcast. It truly, <laughs> not not directly, but kind of as a spiritual successor. Kind of a, a snark, a snarky like, look, I could be funny, but it's <laughs> your your progress is dumb. So that sounds exactly like Douglas Adams mm-hmm. to a T. But but before we get in there, we're gonna do our our normal kind of what you've been up to and how things are going in your life, kind of. So, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but my house is undergoing a remodel, so I have done pretty much bumpkiss in the way of video games this <laughs> That's week. That's right, you have. But, as I mentioned last time, uh, Demon Slayer is now out on Funimation in the dub, so I hi, watched hi, the hi. entire series. That's right. <laughs> and it's just a little foreshadowing at all about what we're going to go over in the future, but yeah, that's he actually got ahead of me a little bit, and he I'm on episode, I think, 18 or 20. Yeah. So I'm close to the end, and I'm about to that point where you're. I'm going. I'm, I've just entered the spider, the mm-hmm. spider demon family. Yes. Which is super messed up. First off. Mm-hmm. So because there's like an abusive relationship in oh, there. Believe me, it gets worse. I, I can't wait. So, but there's like an entire like episode and a half of backstory, which I'm not normally one for, but this is some pretty screwed up stuff. Really? Yes. I didn't even get there. Wow, that's pretty bad. Because they just like they, episode twenty three or something. Okay, they just they just killed the father spider demon. 
Oh, we're just getting started then. He, ju- like, he <laughs> ju- just cut his head. Well, at first they were like, we can't cut through his skin because it's all hard now. And he like shed his carapace. Mm-hmm. And he's like super strong. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, not even the weirdest of the spider clan, the kid with the spider body and the spider head, <laughs> just beyond weird. He's so messed up. <laughs> and he was like laughing. He's like, you're going to turn. He has a little venom that can like make you turn into a spider and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I have a whole other set of problems with um, who's the Lightning Kid. I'm trying to remember his name. I can't remember his name. He's Lightning Kid. That's what I called him. I call him Lightning Kid <laughs> in my head. He's such a whiny little butt face. And I'm just like, just dude, I'm like. He's a berserker. And I. Exactly. I kind of yeah. want to make a D&D character like that at one time. I mean, <laughs> I think it'd be great. That would be really fun. But but the, so maybe like a fourth edition Avenger or like a fifth edition Barbarian. Yeah. I, mean, it'd be, it'd be I don't know. In a, Is it in, in Kuzikia, the, the Boarhead? I cannot remember his name. Is that his name? The Boarhead Kid? In, Inuichi. Inuichi. He's my favorite person in that whole thing. Inu, Inu means, means pig and Ichi means boy. So. That now, uh, pig boy. <laughs> that makes sense. So he is my favorite. He's my favorite character because he just doesn't. He's like, oh, well, if it doesn't work, just do it harder. And I'm just like, I like the way you think. That was one of the best moments in the series is whenever he's like, I've been thinking too hard because the water boy made me think. I just need to hit things harder. And yes. then it works. And it's like, yes. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's like, just, if you can't cut it with a sword, then beat it with a second sword. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what he does. Use more the, swords. The, the spider demon die. And I'm like, wow, you're my hero because that's the way I wish things were. But, but just wait. Um, it's it's clearly going to be multiple seasons. Oh, oh yeah. They I, actually I wrap it with the training arc, and then they introduce is apparently a movie is going to come out next. Well, I think they released it. Was, it. it was supposed to come out already. They released it in Japan, I think, already. Yes, just just like a week or two ago. Yeah, very it's not recently. very long ago. So, because... To be fair, I, I was watching on on a, on, a, on, a, on a streaming site that's not paid for. But anyways, I know. I have to say this. I'm a cheap boy. Um, but it, 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 they already had the movie on there. And anyway, I was like, I'm going to leave it alone. It's been picked up by a North American company. And it's yeah. going to be supposed to be dubbed and be out in the next couple months. That'd be really fun. And so. the second season has supposedly been greenlit. But I don't know if it's actually started production yet. But... So that'd be kind of cool. I was looking for a release date. Well, I mean, have, you seen, next year have you seen the chapters for the for the manga? They have like he's like way ahead of everything right now. I'm sure they are. And normally I'm a manga first guy, but since I started on the anime, I'm just gonna kind of let it be. Yeah, you know, I'll put it this way: it's sometimes unless it's a really good anime, I almost don't ever go back and read the manga, except for like the ones the only few I've done is like I did, I did Full Metal Alchemist, and I did. Um, I can't remember what the other one was that I did. There was like two or three of them I've only done. It's mostly for series that have a really deep, convoluted plot. And yeah. then you watch the anime and it's obviously been dumbed down. Some of those are worth going back to the original source material. I know. Talking about convoluted plots, anyway, before, we should... before we get into this, this, this the series, uh, going back to the English side of things... Um, this had, did not need to be dubbed at all. This was straight up English... Uh, British English to its max. Yes. And, and so if you guys are familiar with the English uh, the English manner of uh, snarkiness or undercutted <laughs> humor, this is definitely rampant throughout the whole series. So I'd actually like to start with a quote, which is... I would love it. Actually the first paragraph of the first book. So, far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. 
Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue planet whose ape-descended life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think digital watches are a pretty neat idea. That that That's is the first paragraph of the book, and that just sets the tone for everything, doesn't it? And and yeah. that and it's almost like immediately, like after that, you you run into the the main character of the story. Well, right? and they they go on to say that this planet has or had a problem, which was this: most of the people living on it were unhappy for pretty much the time. Many <laughs> solutions have been suggested for this problem, most of which were largely concerned with the movements of small green pieces of paper. Which is odd, because on the whole, it wasn't the small green pieces of paper which were unhappy. And so the problem <laughs> remained, and lots of people were mean, and most of them were miserable, even the ones with digital watches. <laughs> Many were increasingly of the opinion they'd all made a big mistake coming down from the trees in the first place, and some of them said that even the trees had been in bad move and no one should have ever left the oceans. <laughs> that's, that it's is, such black humor. Oh, mm, <laughs> it warms my, warms my black heart. I know, and so... so Let's start with this. So, like, obviously, you you reading this, you've read this, you've read it multiple times, and I know I, I read have. this every couple of years at least. When, or listen to the audio, but when, one of the two. When was the first time you ever read it or listened to it? I want to say it was late grade school, early high school. Because I think I remember you, I actually think I remember seeing you in it, uh, have it in eighth grade. Because this like, was when the, like, the ultimate collection came out, yeah. which had the five books plus the short story. And yes, if anyone's knowledgeable, we're ignoring the sixth book because it was written like a decade later by a different author, so screw them. So you're talking about what book? It doesn't exist. I'm exactly. Not tell you the title. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, the ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out. It was a big collection, mm-hmm. and it's like eight hundred something pages. And uh, I remember it's a, it's a thick kind it's of a, a, it's a, a girth, book. It's a girthy yeah. kind of guy. Yes. <laughs> And um, I want to say that was at the end of grade school was when we got into that, like, seventh yeah. or eighth grade, something like that. Because I remember you having that, and I remember asking you to borrow it, and then I never got it from you. <laughs> and so I found it at the library, and I was like, man, this is this is a lot bigger than I thought it would be. And then so I went and found it on uh, – wasn't I don't know if it was because you were audio the, cassette. You had the cassette tape audiobooks you were into. It was either so. audio cassette tape at the time, or I got it on uh, CD uh, because I think it was about the time that CDs were starting to really kick in. Yeah, the MP3 players, the portable ones, were kind of becoming a thing at that. Yeah, point. and I think I got it on my on CDs, and it was like it was like ten CDs. It's a hefty audiobook, yeah. And so I'm, you're talking like probably close to 30 hours of what, audio. Like 81 minutes to an old-fashioned CD back when, I, they, back when they had uncompressed like audio on them before yeah, MP3s. Yes, something like that about that. So, and I remember getting that, and I just listened to it, and I'm just sitting there going, I'm like, I was like concerned because I remember listening to this, and I'm like, why is this guy so like depressed all the time like why is he so angry but that was the first time you know i i was a little behind the gun on that but i remember the second time i read it was closer to like about halfway through high school maybe closer to like college era Mm -hmm. and i remember reading it again and i was just like oh this guy has got like I like the way he thinks, you know. <laughs> this guy's like, hilarious. This guy's a lot funnier than it was when I first wa- listened to it. And now that I go through it as an adult, I'm like, man, Douglas Adams had life figured out. <laughs> <laughs> you really like, like just everything's a joke, and it seems like if you can find if you can find a dark and like witty point about something, it's just just well, go for and it. There's almost. a lot of like really black political humor in it too. Oh my that god, I yeah, was hilarious. Like one uh, said, and I picked this one out because of you know recent events in America. But it says uh, the president is a is a the president in particular is a very much a figurehead. He wields no real power whatsoever. His job is not to wield power, but to draw attention away from it. 
<laughs> it's not wrong. I mean, it's it's not wrong, and that's uh, that's a quote about uh, another one of the fun characters. So let's let's start. Another one that is another one that says it is a well known fact that those people who most want to rule are ipso facto those people least suited to do it. To summarize the summary, anyone who is capable Absolutely. of getting themselves elected president should on no account be allowed to do the job. <laughs> that is why, and that's another, that's, oh my God, we're going to jump into this heavy if we don't watch it. So, so let's start at the beginning um, and go over the, the characters in the story because I, I want to talk about Zaphod so much. Okay, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Is one of the greatest guys, but let's, let's Which, start, let's start, let's start with um, the okay, main let's character. start at the beginning. So, yeah. quick, quick summary about the book real quick then. So... The series consists of five books. They were written by Douglas Adams yep. between 79 and 92. So well before um, we were born. By the so. time he died in 2001, they yep. had already been translated into more than 30 languages, and yep. they'd sold more than 15 million copies. And that's not including everything since then. They yeah, that's, if anything, they've only gotten more popular I mean, that's not then. that's not even including... So on top of being translating like that, you've got... Uh, the original BBC uh, uh, production Correct. that they did. It was a radio production first, and there was 12 yeah. episodes in that. They did that one, and then the books came. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, they did uh, the audiobook adaptations. They three, did Three different audiobook adaptations. They did, they did plays on it. They did mm-hmm. uh, TV adaptations, like series adaptations. Mm-hmm. Didn't they, they had two feature films, I believe. Yes. One was the one in the early 2000s mm-hmm. everyone's probably seen. It was also a straight-to-TV BBC film yeah. Yeah. Well, like which was stuff was back. I honestly think it was funnier than the the blockbuster it, one. It, it was so the thing it, it had, preserved the tone of the books a lot more. Exactly, I will agree with you on that. And I think the cheesy, the cheesy like um, props and uh, add-ons, like when they put on Zaphod's like extra mm-hmm. head, it looks so bad. It's funny. Almost. I know, and it's actually really. There's some dark humor there, too, because the original radio production was way ahead of its time in terms of production yep. value. It was, Absolutely. It was one of the snar- one of the best things ever made for radio in terms of just sound and production quality. Yeah. But, yeah, I think we said the two two TV shows, two films, yeah. four different theater productions, three audiobook adaptations, three video games. Yep. A comic book series and a second radio adaptation of the books, which were themselves adapted from. Radio. Which is kind of funny. It's like a cyclical kind of thing. So, and something I didn't know until today. They actually even named a day after it. May the twenty fifth is a towel day, where uh, fans we will of books we will carry towels. We will get into that, and it's it's a recurring theme in some of our D anD D campaigns that we play. And I always ask James if he's a character. I'm like, make sure you have your do you have your towel? Do you have your towel with you? Yes. And then sometimes the other characters look like the other players look like it's like, what's wrong with these two? Like, are they like idiots? I'm like, I live with uncultured swine. That's, that's, that's right. Mm. But uh, anyways, um, but the plot of the book, Zaphod Beeblebrox, he says your favorite character. So yeah, I do. So take it back, Zaphod. But the thing is, like, I like almost, I almost like all of the characters each individually for their own specific things mm-hmm. because. You get into there and you love Arthur Dent because he's the lovable idiot that has just no idea really what's going on. Yeah, so he's like the everyman of the book. He's the yeah. he's the character at the beginning of the book. The book opens with him wandering around his house. He'd gotten tremendously drunk and hung over the night yep. before because he found out someone was planning to knock down his house to make a bypass. Yep, and he didn't really doesn't really figure out until the minute when he hears like the what was it is, is, the is bulldozers it the bulldozers turning are at on his house and he is laying down in the mud in front of the bulldozers yeah. at the beginning of the book he finds out that they, today was the day and somehow he forgot he thought it was like next week or something like mm-hmm. that or a month from now and he's like you will not run over my house <laughs> do you remember who his friend was who came to rescue him 
Uh, Ford Prefect. Yes, a nicely inconspicuously named alien. Exactly. Ford Prefect. <laughs> was uh, an alien travel guide writer for yeah. the Eponymous Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. And if you remember right, he tells Arthur that the world is about to end and he desperately needs to go to the pub and get drunk yep. with them. Because the um, uh, what are what are the guys coming in to build the intergalactic hyperspace loop? Yes. <laughs> What are what are na- what the, are their the names? Vogons. The Vogons. That's right, because they do they do the, the main guy does poetry. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, they're the civil service of the galaxy, and they've come to demolish the Earth to make room for a bypass. So you guys can already <laughs> see that the tones are laying on. Even though that Arthur is worried about his house getting knocked over, you get have a bypass put in. The Earth is going to get knocked over because the, a bypass is going to get put in. It's mm-hmm. just like and it's it's. The things that he does on this, he just layers the the the, the funny one right after another, yeah. and it's I love it to death. So. so eventually, they assemble the cast of the book, which is like you said, uh, Arthur Ford. There was um, the two-headed galactic president Zaphod Beeblebrox. That's right. There was the depressed robot named Marvin, and there's Trillian McMillian, who is an astrophysicist from yep. Earth, who Arthur once dismally failed to hit it off with at an Islington party. Who ends up actually getting... <laughs> who got together with Zaphod at yeah. the same party, yeah, and uh, traveled the universe with him. Yeah, that's right. That's, it's, that's why it's so funny. It's like, <laughs> every, every character in this, and it's, it's kind of like, so each character has their own kind of like style on how they, and obviously... Uh, they have their own their own style and character characteristics throughout the the whole thing. Arthur, like you said, is the everyman. Uh, Trillian is kind of like the love interest that goes back. She's and the forth. love interest, and she's also kind of the brainiac, one of the buns. Yeah, she keeps everyone from doing the really dumb things. <laughs> she really does. Yeah. Uh, you've got Ford, who is kind of like I would guess you would call him almost a hobo. He's like yeah, he's a hobo. He's like the social glue of the group. I mean, yeah, he's keeps the one them all together. Everybody. Yeah, um, Zaphod. He's a professional hitchhiker. He really is. Uh, And he kind of got, and let's go over that a little bit. So he actually works for a company that makes the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book. Goes goes around and has all the, basically uh, goes to all these uh, other planets and basically says, hey, if you're going to go to these planets, this is what you need to know. It's basically like a traveler's guide. Do you remember what the entry for Earth was? Uh, don't ever go here. No. What was it? What was it? Mostly harmless. Mostly harmless. That's what it was. I couldn't. Apparently, remember the original entry was harmless, and uh, Ford Prefect came to Earth, spent 15 years of his life after he got stuck there. Yep. Wrote a gigantic article, and they edited the original entry from harmless to mostly, mostly harmless. harmless. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so. <laughs> <laughs> on top of that, they do all these other little things. Like that's where you get the the if they say they open up the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book and, uh, manual, as you were, and it has all these things that you have to have. If you're going to be a hitchhiker, and one of those happens to be a towel. A towel because it's so versatile. They James. say that if a man knows where his towel is, any non-hitchhiker will immediately assume he has any number of like a dozen other objects. And he's such right. a put together the person that they will gladly lend him anything he might happen to be missing. That is, that is exactly right, and it's it's just oh my god! And just, so they make a lot of references to this, like you know, a smart guy is someone who really knows where his towel is and stuff yep. like that. That's and it's and, it, and it's just that's a running gag throughout the book from what and I remember. It's definitely entered into pop culture in a big way. Absolutely. <laughs> and so and then on top of that, you have. Um, I, you have uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox, who is the intergalactic president, like you said, and he won by it's in in in, in he's president of the the known galaxy president of the galaxy. And I love how he just goes straight for that. He's not president of another world or of a solar system. President of the galaxy. It's like everyone else is in on this intergalactic uh, 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 government system, and they're mm-hmm. like. 
Earth, we're going to leave you over here by yourself because you're you're special. We're going to leave you over there. Yep. And the, so the, the he, main perk of being president is apparently he gets to wear an orange sash. Yes, but he has no real power. No actual power. And that's why it's more of like a popularity contest than anything. And so he, I think he ends up saying that at one point in the book. Do you remember so. what he does at his opening scene? Doesn't he steal the? Or is he it steals after? a spaceship, the Heart of Gold. Col- yeah, yeah. Which apparently was the entire reason he became president in the first place. <laughs> Just well, so he could like, do it. Yeah, like the opening scene for him is like he goes to where the Heart of Gold is, and he's like, "Wow, that's a nice ship. In fact, I'm gonna steal it." Yep, <laughs> and he does. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit too. So then you also get uh, on the Heart of Gold. There is a uh, automated robot. And his name, or he's an AI there. He's a robot named Marvin. Marvin, yes. Who is actually one of my favorite characters in there, the whole thing. Out of he's all of them. He's easily my favorite. Yeah, Marvin's great. He's, he's the depressed. And everything is he's like. Paranoid androids, what people have kind of called him over the years. Absolutely. And everything that comes out of his mouth is always so dripping with, like, what's the point of life? Like, life. <laughs> so, fun fact do you know who voices him in the newer uh, film adaptation? No. Alan Rickman. Really? And so he does a great <laughs> life. What's the point of life? So you can all just think, like, now you can think of Professor Snape voices Marvin <laughs> the android, the depressed robot in there, and it's it's phenomenal. Like, here I am, raised the size of a planet, and you help me to go fetch the aliens. That's, that's right. What is, what is the one? Like, Probably when he, the most intelligent thing I'll do all day. <laughs> <laughs> what is he? He goes to the... Goes to the goes to the what is the he goes to the, the doors in the ship and he's just like, uh You can hear it whirring. It's so smug. It's about <laughs> to open again. <laughs> I love it. Here I, I at am. At one point, he talks another ship into committing suicide. Yes, telling it of its his point of view of the world. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, and then you have uh, I'd say I did trillion already. And who is the other ones I'm missing? A couple. Of, am I missing one or two of them? That's the main cast. That's the main. Um, they have a bunch of like little other ones here and there. But two Smarty Bartflast. Yeah. You have a couple of hyper intelligent mice. You have a computer named Deep Thought. Oh, I forgot about Deep Thought. I remember that one actually. So, <laughs> so the the cast, like I said, they steal the heart of gold. Yep. Which is powered by an infinite improbability drive. Yeah. Like this so, is. So let's let's dial back a little bit. So yeah. we, we I know we talked about. So we're talking about. Um, uh, so uh, Arthur's ha- the planet Earth is getting demolished by the yes. Vogons, which you're thinking whenever you're first starting off, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're not going to destroy the Earth. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do that. What do they do? They totally destroy. They it. totally destroy the Earth. But Arthur and uh, Ford get uh, transported. They escape by hitching a ride. Hitching a ride with the cooks on the Vogon ship. That's right. And so they actually get interrogated a little bit about uh, so by the eventually the they get caught. And yep. the the captain of the ship decides to punish them by reading some of his poetry to them. That's right. Which it says that the Vogons have the third worst poetry in the universe. Yep. Um, just after some girl in England, who I guess Douglas Adams particularly disliked, <laughs> and, and some other alien species who they say, uh, uh, I think once read a group of sonnets entitled like an ode to a uh, piece of green putty I found in my armpit one midsummer's morn. Yep. And, and they talk about how several people killed themselves to escape the horror of his writing. And, and they, eventually the poet's own own intestine strangles him to death to avoid uh, destroying the universe or something. I forgot about that part. That's great. So you're, like I said, that's why you're here, because you're remembering way more than I am on this one. But I remember the point of, like, when they were, like, that he starts doing the sonnet. Everyone, or Ford and Arthur, like, cut the clamp their hands over their ears yeah, because he clamps it's them into so this, bad. Yeah, the, he ties them into this device that's designed to, like, emphasize the impact of the poetry yep. to them. 
And so they basically, then he asked when they get done, he's like, what do you think about it? What did they say? You know, I, I said, what was it? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Is it, is it, uh, it was okay or something like that? They, like, they blustered they, a lot. And I didn't write down yeah. the exact quote for this one, but they talked the, about The how, meaning of the metaphor of the, the soliloquy. Exactly. I Talk, highlights the underlying vulgarity of the author or something. And he yeah. says, I remember at the end of the line, he says, so basically, you said, I write poetry because I just want to be understood. I want to be understood. I want to be loved. <laughs> I want to be loved. I want to be loved. And he goes, yeah, now that's nothing, not it at all. <laughs> it's like, I write poetry to throw into sharp relief my harsh exterior. <laughs> that's right. And they like... <laughs> Put him in an airlock, and don't they kick him out the airlock? Well, and so then there's this wonderful little scene where they're trying to convince the Vogon guard who's about to throw them out the airlock <laughs> not to throw them out the airlock. Yep. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing is, like, he sets these little, he takes little scenes that would go by like that so quickly, mm-hmm. and he can kind of stretch them out with just mindless prattle. You think it's mindless <laughs> prattle, but it's so hilarious the way he does it. Mm-hmm. Like them trying to convince the, the the guard to let him to let him out of the airlock. It's like a it's like a two to three page scene of him well, yeah. just talking and to him. It actually is pretty funny too in its own right. Like he talks about like, you know, think of all the culture and things that you could experience. And he yeah. like hums a few bars of Mozart, goes ba 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 bum. It's like doesn't that make you feel anything and it's like, oh, he's trying to convince someone of culture of which he can't remember any of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's it's like you said, it's it's those little like sharp jabs that he does <laughs> here and there throughout the book. It's just like you said, it, it, it's the fact that somebody wants to say, This we have culture. Here's some culture. I don't know the culture. <laughs> it's just like that's it, and it's it's or, just um, it's great. Remember the drink machine on the heart of gold? Uh, no, I don't remember that one. So there was the, the drink machine made by, uh, I can't remember the name of the corporation, but there's a magic drink machine that's supposed to scan your taste buds and read your memory and determine the most oh, ideal drink for anyone right. to drink, which invariably is a cup of lukewarm liquid that is almost <laughs> but not quite entirely unlike tea. <laughs> I totally forgot that part. Now that you, that you're bringing it all back to me, and I remember, I remember watching that off of the, um, off the uh, Hitchhiker Guide to the Movie because I actually, I did, I did, I thought it was okay, but I remember the the first movie. I remember them them doing the cup of tea, and he's like, eh, it's not bad. It's just like them doing something like that. It's like it's it's little things like that. But yeah, so well, once they get kicked out of the airlock, but like right at the last second, done they do the Hitchhiker thing. That's right when the Heart of Gold is going by. That Zavod has stolen at this point. Well, and so that's another part of the joke, right? Is they jump out of the airlock and they talk about how what the chances of them being rescued yeah. are, and it's, it's like infinitesimally soon, small. Yeah. They even read the they read the Hitchhiker's Guide, and it helpfully tells them if you take a good breath of air, you can live for an extra ten seconds. So they yep. do that. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then miraculously, right before they die, they get rescued. Yep. But they go on later to say that this was actually inevitable because the ship is powered by the infinite improbability drive, and so. When they fire up the engine of this ship, <laughs> the the improbable occurs. The improbable occurs, and so this was actually fated to happen, pretty yep. much. <laughs> and so that's another kind of running gag throughout the whole thing is like every time they power this ship up to make it go, these random things happen, like the, like a whale pops out of nowhere and a and a flower pot, a bowl of petunias. Of petunias. Do you and remember what the bowl of petunias thinks before not, it dies? Not again. <laughs> exactly. I'm just oh, like... No, not again. I I'm think just... uh, I wrote that one down here. <laughs> Let's do that real quick. Yes, uh, where did that one go? 
Um, curiously <laughs> enough, the only thing that went through the bowl of Petunia's mind as it fell was, oh no, not again. Many people have speculated that if we knew exactly why the Bull of Petunias had thought this, we would know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. That's that's exactly right. And that is after, that's when they're going on to Magrathia, Magrathia, right? Yes. And so Magrathia is this like legendary civilization of planet builders yep. that had actually become so fabulously rich by making custom-made planets for the rich and wealthy that they hoarded all the universe's <laughs> money and sent it spiraling into a galactic stock market crash. That's right. And do you remember what their solution to the problem was? I don't remember. The not. entire planet closed its doors, went into hibernation, and uh, decided to wake back up again. Oh, that's right. When, yeah. the, when the galaxy had become sufficiently wealthy to afford their planets once again. <laughs> <laughs> that's I totally forgot. I knew they'd gone into hibernation. I couldn't remember why it was. But man, like I said, yeah, you you really wow, you're you're like way over this more than I am, which is great though. So, but yeah, so. Obviously, like you said, they get picked up, and and they that's kind of what they they do. They they, they decide they, they get this plan. They don't get like a message or something out of nowhere. So when they get close to the planet, um, there's a message that yeah. reads out that says, "This is like the uh, some of the fact that like this is the Civil Planning Commission of Magrathia. Yeah. We encourage, we regret to inform you <laughs> that we are closed for business yeah. right now." And yeah. they stay there too long. And eventually, they say, "We like we have reserved this for our most enthusiastic customers. customers." And it's it's, like, it's a nuke, nuclear it's like, missile yeah, it's or like, something like that. Please enjoy our complimentary pair of armed nuclear warheads now <laughs> flying towards your ship. <laughs> please do not change course. Continue where you are. And it's just like it's just it's great. It's like it's literally like a hard sales pitch for them trying to like. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I remember that. And then, and they say like, "What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do?" And that's whenever they they do that. They whenever they go, does the heart of gold doesn't get blown up? They they shoot in there and they hit the probability drive, don't they? And that's they changes the two warheads into, into the, the whale and the bull, the bull petunias. That's what it is. So, and I remember that. And that's when they start flying in there, and then they land, and they end up talking to I think it's like the caretaker. That's Smarty on the Bartflast. Yes. Mart, Smarty Bartflast. Okay, and I can't remember what his name was, but I'm glad to remember it. You so, can be forgiven for not remembering that. It's name. acceptable. <laughs> but anyway, so they get down there, and then they start talking to him about like you know you know why they're there and all this other stuff. But I'm trying to remember what was the whole point. That's well, they found out that Magrathia had actually woken up again for <laughs> a one-off project for a very special customer. Okay, remember they were remaking the Earth. Oh, that's because right. Because the Earth itself was actually originally a project that Magrathia had made. That's right. And who were the uh, customers? <laughs> a pair of super intelligent mice, actually called Benny Mouse and Jeremy Mouse. That's right. Who uh, <laughs> the planet had been commissioned by their like race of pangalactic beings to answer oh. the ultimate question. Yep. Or rather, to ask the ultimate question. Yep. So, <laughs> and I, I love that they get in there and they they get in there they figure out. So and, and I think it was it was it just before the uh, the question was asked that, that they demolished the Earth isn't that what happens? Yes, and so the this race of pangalactic beings had constructed this computer called Deep Thought. Yep, and it ran a program for something like seven million years or something straight. And they, yeah, and they to finally... find out what the ultimate answer to the ultimate question was to life, the universe, and everything. And he says that the answer is forty two. Forty two. <laughs> And everyone, of course, is very, very confused and dissatisfied with this answer. And he's like, I knew you weren't going to like it. I knew you weren't going to like it. <laughs> and he it. gets, like, super, like, 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 well, it was this, like, man, like, why are you going to be down on me kind of thing? It's just like, I was just doing my job kind of thing. You asked the question. I'm giving you the answer. And it's just like, you never don't even, like, you didn't ask, like, the right question. And they're like, well, what is that question? And they're like, he goes, 
Well, I don't know. If you really understood what the question was, then maybe the answer would make sense to yeah, you. Yeah, and it's just like, and so they, that's what you said, they, they commissioned that, uh, that the Earth as the planet. It's like a giant, supposed to be a giant a working giant com- living computer, yeah. yeah that due to the ultimate question. And it was like just before they get yeah, to... of course, to, it gets destroyed like five minutes before it reads out. Of course. And <laughs> as is Douglas Adams, he's got to throw that in there, that wrench in there, so... So after so so that's pretty much as far as I can kind of remember. Um, so what happens after after that? I remember. Well, at that point they they realize that Arthur was the last living human that was yep. on the planet right before it was destroyed, and maybe if they dissected his brain, yeah, they could find out what the answer, what the question to the answer was. <laughs> And um, they have this wonderful escape sequence where they escape out of the planet and they eventually mm-hmm. are saved because, like I said, Marvin, the paranoid android, convinced the other ship to commit yep. suicide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's why I love Marvin. And eventually the mice decide to give up because uh, they had just received a very nice offer in the mail to talk on a five-dimensional talk show <laughs> about the the question to the ultimate answer, and they decided they were just going to make something up because that was easier. And so they settle on how many mo- how many roads must a man walk down as a mysterious-sounding question. And they figured they'll be fabulously rich before anyone catches on it. That's, anyway. a, that's a very Bob Dylan thing right now. How many men... How many roads must a man walk down? I think they should take it for one of the songs, yeah. And that's a little bit funny they do. And I was just like, that's kind of like cheap right there. But anyways, so yeah, and and so after that, that point, that's kind of the end of the first book. That's isn't the end it? of the first book, and we've skimmed over a lot of really great stuff. But that's that's the general plot yeah, of the first absolutely. book. And it actually ends with them saying like, oh. Where are we going to go have supper? We're all getting pretty peckish now. And they said, well, we're just going to go to the restaurant at the end of the universe. That's where it kind of That's where the second book picks up, yeah. So so kind of go, what's the general, do you know what the general over of plot on the... Or do you want to go over this? The, kind of the plot yeah. of this, or leave let's, it up. Let's leave people something, something to read themselves, or we can go over it another episode. No, yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 I do want to talk a little bit about how the series came to be, though, because yeah, it's actually yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the book actually started as a radio broadcast series, yep, like we, we said we earlier. Said, yeah. uh, it was the proposal was first called "The Ends of the Earth." It was supposed to be six self-contained episodes, and. Like Douglas most... Adams was going to write a different ending each time about all the different ways the Earth was destroyed. And if you've read the fifth, the fourth and fifth books, you can see that kind of comes back as a theme. But oh, yeah. while he was writing that episode, he realized he needed someone who was an alien, someone who was from Earth, and that's where Arthur and Ford Prefect came from. And he, he finally settled that the reason that the alien was on Earth was he was a roving researcher for this book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And as the kind of writing for the episode progressed, it became the center of the story. He claimed later in 1971 that the incident while he was hitchhiking around Europe as a young man, that he had a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. <laughs> and that That's while funny. he was lying drunk in a field next to an inn, as, as you should be, in Innsbruck with a copy of the book, he thought it would be wonderful if someone wrote a guide to the galaxy instead. <laughs> Now, later on, he said that he actually didn't remember the story anymore, but he had told it so many times that he was pretty sure it had actually happened. <laughs> that's, and that's him to a T. It's like, you almost think, it's like, is this guy full of shit or not? You know, it's just like, and a little part of you thinks, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And that's why, that's why he's such a great character. So if you, like, watch any of his interviews he does crap like this all the time. He's, he'll tell a story and they say, and people will be like, did that really happen? He goes, and he'll say shit like that. He'll be like, oh, I'm pretty sure it has happened at some point to someone. <laughs> and I'm like, you son of a bitch. Well, and for example, he never called the book series a trilogy, but yeah. 
Hebrew. The first three books were written quite well before the last, the fourth and the fifth ones were, and so fans yep. started calling it a trilogy. Yeah. And eventually, by the third book, it was labeled a trilogy, and the fourth book was still labeled a trilogy. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you would do just to be <laughs> pissed off people. And, and the introduction to the fifth book, it was subtitled the book which will redefine the meaning of the word trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> And when they wrote the compilation books, you know, the the omnibus books, yeah. he said in the intro that, you know, the author's forenote for that uh, he says that here and for after, everything he writes in this forenote will be considered officially wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. And that. I don't remember that at all, but that's that's great. But I remember, like, reading, like, watching some of his, his interviews, and he does stuff like that, and I'm just like, God, you're... Like how is that? He was married, wasn't he? Like how is anybody? How is anybody married to you? Because I know if I was like that, my wife would freaking kill me. Mm-hmm. So, but he he just had this wonderful mind that just like went into all these weird different directions that I just I would never have been able to do that. So, but so like as you were saying, like after after he kind of comes up with this idea and and, so the, and yeah, the and first comes six, up with this, yeah the first six episodes get broadcast in 1978 on BBC Radio Four. Yep. It had a pretty low key launch. It got a bad time slot, like a 10 p.m. time slot, which was ridiculously late. Well, I mean, time. to be fair, though, I mean, if, if you're going to put something like that, it was probably one of those throwaway things. They're like, yeah, this is good enough to be on the radio, but we don't know how it's going to do. And they're like, exactly. that's what they, so they do. They toss it up there. So it, it received a tremendous audience reaction for a radio program. Really great reviews. Yep. There's actually a one off episode that was lost to time. <sighs> it was a Christmas episode, which if you've ever watched Doctor Who, you know that BBC is in the habit of doing throwaway Christmas episodes. Absolutely. <laughs> It was, it was probably it was, kind of like a little jab at that. Apparently, probably. it was considered to be in rather poor taste, and so it was left out of the book, <laughs> the book adaptation later. So I really wonder what it was. It's probably some uh, backhanded like uh, thing toward body, or maybe something more directly aimed at political figures of the day, or or Doctor Who for that matter. Even or maybe it was so. Doctor Who. I don't know. And you can't touch their darling Doctor Who. I mean, definitely, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, but so the, the series got repeated twice again in 1978 alone. Yep. And many more times over the next few years. Uh, it had an LP re-recording, mm-hmm. uh, the BBC for sale, and eventually a uh, second radio series with a further five episodes to bring up to a total of 12. Yep. Got broadcast in 1980. Yep. Uh, the radio broadcast was notable for its use of sound. It was the first comedy series produced for radio in stereo. Mm-hmm. Um, Adams had said at the time that he wanted the production to be comparable to a rock album in quality. Which and so that, they actually spent the yeah. vast majority of the budget was spent on sound effects. Yeah, well, I mean, so if you can think about it, so um, for some of our younger listeners, back in that time frame, they didn't have all, they didn't have computers were not widely available for people, and so a lot of things were manually done, and a lot of things they only had to be able to do things with like, like manually as the sound was being recorded. Correct. And so they had to do a lot of things on the fly as they're doing it or like pre planned for these things and they can't go in like after post production. This was the norm in Hollywood up until the early two thousands is that yeah, you would record the actors saying lines afterwards. Yeah. And for sound effects, like if people cowbells, xylophones, like if a bunch of cops were running into a room, you would have someone shaking a belt in the sound room to record that sound. Yeah. And uh 
Apparently, the sound of smacking celery with a stick sounds a lot like steps if you tune the sound just right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> they said like a good punching sound requires a couple different layers of sound. Like you have to punch some meat and some grit and kind of get a good thwack into it. Uh, that's I could just like, see a guy. A lot of I could see like a giant thick like slab of meat and somebody just going smacking it with like well, their hands or something. And to this day, a lot of the sound effects you see in movie and TV are made this way. Yep. They're digitally layered now instead of being done manually like they were before. But they probably recorded. But so used to hearing those very satisfying sound effects yep. that they haven't ever gone back to a hyper-realistic way of doing it because it just doesn't sound right. No, because to be fair, in my line of work, you don't hear that kind of sound whenever somebody gets hit mm-hmm. or it's a lot more low-key. People don't scream and yell at the top of their lungs when yeah. things happen. Happens. And it, and you just, it's it's more of a low-key kind of thing. Or a, <laughs> it's not so bad as, as it would yeah. sound. So. And a lot of times you don't hear the bone break sometimes. <laughs> and you know, know that as yeah. well. So it's just like you don't hear those things happen. And then all of a sudden you lift your arm up and it's like dangling. And you're just like, oh, we need to get you to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> At that point. So so that's kind of what was really interesting thing. So, yeah, they really they really went all out from yeah, what I remember. It was actually um, one of the first radio shows that got mixed into a four-channel Dolby surround sound. Oh, my God. That's Yeah. yeah I didn't know it was. When it was uh, adapted. So. The book was created based on the first four radio episodes. Okay. It got published in 1979, about the next year, okay. uh, before the second series of the radio had been done. Uh, it was actually published by Pan Books rather than BBC Publishing, which is really? kind of strange because BBC did the radio adaptation. I, I thought they would have had at least apparently, have some rights to it. Apparently they turned down the novelization rights. That's stupid. Which, uh, to put it mildly, they later regretted. I would say so, <laughs> considering how well regarded it is. So the book reached number one on the book charts in only its second week of writing. It sold over 250,000 copies in the first three months of release. And this was before it was released outside of England. So the second book, The Restaurant of the Universe, was based on the the radio episodes 5 through 12. Yep. And the rest of the series was written in novels, which is why if you've ever read this before, you've noticed the first two books fit together differently. Very. And, and they different. are slightly different in tone than the other three books. It's because they were written as a radio broadcast. And I think it comes across that it was clearly meant to be spoken because as you heard us like speaking out some of these quotes, there's such a diegetic quality to the way things are talked. I think I almost like it a little bit more. I like the first two novels a little bit I do more too. Always my favorite. than the last three, honestly. The, so. the last three have some great moments, but they're not as good as the first two, I thought. No, definitely not. So, and I, I think that's kind of why I remember, I think I've only actually read the whole series once or twice in its entirety, mm-hmm. but that those first two books... I don't know how many times I've read them. I mean, there's been a numerous amounts of time. Like you mm-hmm. go, like you said, you go back every couple of years and just read them, or you get bored. Like I remember the other day, um, I was at the comic shop just looking around, and I had seen that they'd actually had a uh, they had a big old thick trade paper of it, trade mm-hmm. paperback of the the newest yeah. rendition that they had of it. And I just picked it up and started flipping through it, and it was just the first. I think that was the first book that they did. Yeah. They grabbed, they now they uh, had adapted to it, and it was great. And I just sat there, and I almost read the whole thing. And I remember he was like, "You know, you gonna buy that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get it to it." I, I did not buy it, so I, I'm sorry. I got upset. I told myself, "Well, I, it's on my Christmas wish list, so I'm hoping maybe okay. I'll, I'll get it." So maybe you'll get something nice. Maybe I'll get something nice. But so that, like I said, like you said, it's it's just been so adapted in so many different ways, and they and every time they they put it out there even after douglas adams passed away mm-hmm. they do it with such care mm-hmm. and such a quality 
that he keeps bringing audience people from like different generations back again and again Absolutely. and again. And I think he died in 2001. 2001, yeah. I think he was involved in the movie production a little bit. I know he has a cameo yeah, at one part. I know he died mid-production. Yeah, he had, because he had, did he have cancer? I think it was some kind of cancer, I don't recall. Yeah, I knew, because I knew from what I remember, I knew he was a bit of a drinker a little mm-hmm. bit. So, but I mean, with that style of writing, you can only imagine what was going through his head. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm sure he, so, it, it was one of those things, Is like, you know, it was really sad. I remember asking you about it, because when I remember whenever, because uh, we, to put it a little politely we graduated in 2006 from high school mm-hmm. so uh, i remember asking you in, in whenever we were younger in grade school you know like about the author and things like that and i remember finding out later on that he had died whenever i actually did sit down to read the book and i was kind of sad about it because i was like mm-hmm. you know like a lot of authors like even with jackie you know she loves peter s beagle who did mm-hmm. uh, the last unicorn and yeah. a lot of other things uh, a lot of short stories great writer mm-hmm. about short stories you want to go meet these guys or mm-hmm. our, our ladies and, and get to kind of pick their brains a little bit. Yeah. And so I was kind of sad to think, you know, I'm never going to be able to talk to this guy. But, you know, you have so much stuff on YouTube now to kind of see, like, the kind of... Well, and that's one thing is I'm, I'm glad we have an audiobook with him reading his own work. Because that's Cause very that, rare. It's it's pretty rare to have, like, one of these classic books. I know C.S. Lewis read a few of his own books, too, yeah. and they're... He did, the he recordings did, are of middling quality to poor. Because did he do screw tape letters? He did the screw tape letters. Yeah, I, I think the one way. I've read, the one I know that survived of his original recordings is the, his book on the four types of love. Talking about a really good but, uh, uh, BBC adaptation. I love the Lion, the Witch, and the, War, the Narnia series yes. BBC. If you guys want <laughs> to watch <laughs> some bad, some bad animatronics, but <laughs> it's just so great to watch. Uh, check out the mm-hmm. BBC versions of the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They did like all one of for them. each book. They did. They did. They did and all I of his know. books. We watched a bunch of those back in the day because I know the library had a copy of them. They're so the animatronics are so bad, but they're <laughs> so good. Anyways, yeah, Disney got nothing on that. On so. a scale of one to Dark Crystal, where would you put them? Ooh, uh, <laughs> definitely closer to Dark Crystal. It's not as good. It's definitely like so. Uh, you're tearing me a little bit because the lion is so bad. It's like it's so jerky when he does it. It's Dark like, Crystal is, has to be the pinnacle of the form. I know. It's definitely like in the in the pre-computer era. Let's say Jim Henson outdid himself on that. Let's one, say but. it's not it's not terrible, <laughs> but it's not great either. Let's give it a six. Okay, we'll give this. <laughs> okay, the storytelling redeems himself. Redeems himself. So, anyways, so you you get these all these great adaptations from uh, from the BBCs, and so like. Even like you said, you do all these different things that they that they've done throughout the ages, and I was really surprised that he actually uh, allowed some of the stuff. He was very he was very open about letting his IP be used too. Very much so. In fact, I think one of the most infamous adaptations for like the video game genre was he. There was an actually an ASCII text game. Yeah. So if you guys don't back in the eighties and nineties. So if people don't know what that is, that's um if uh, people know that in the game uh, Zork. Zork is probably one of the most it's, famous it's ones. Text, text and typing games. So basically, you have a list of you have basically have a narration on your screen, and you have to type out what you do, and the computer normally responds to that. Depending on how so you respond, it'll say so. like you know, you wake up in a room. There's a bookcase, a shelf, a rug, and a door. And then you might just type in "exit the door" and hit enter. Yeah, and it'll or tell you check rug. Happen. Yeah, it'll have... either tell you that it, it can't do that, or it'll tell you what happens. It's kind of a choose your own adventure kind of thing, exactly. Almost. And they're actually a good bit of fun. They really are. So like even so nowadays, extremely people... creative and very very open compared to a lot of the stuff that comes afterwards. Up until exactly. like very recent games. Yeah. 
in terms of like Easter eggs and breadth of things to do, these were absolutely expensive. well. Like Zork, I remember there's so many diverging paths that you can go on. It's, it's for, incredible. It's ridiculous. And I remember somebody tried to chart at one time. It was like you can have like up to or it's like sixty, almost sixty different endings or something yeah. stupid. And but so, you have so many different ways to go there. If you ever got killed in the dark by a Gru. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah. I admit that I've only played probably about four or five hours of it, but it's yeah. You definitely die quite a bit. Anyway, this it had a very well written text game that, by all accounts, I've ever played it personally was hysterical. Is it was great. Well, we were but, watching we were watching a Game Grumps uh, video before we started this up. They did the um, they did the remastered version of yeah. it. They remastered it just in yeah. time for the, the most recent theatrical release. But early on in this game, there's a puzzle concerning a babblefish yeah. where you have to get it outside. You have to like get it from a vending machine. And this so, puzzle was so infinitely yeah. difficult that people <laughs> gave up on it. So the babblefish in the books is the thing that they stuck. It's like a, a, a intergalactic, uh, intergalactic language transmitter that they have to shove in your ear. Yeah, it's a fish that if you shove in your ear, it will translate all languages for you. But the thing is, the way they describe it is the the it eats the words and the sound and it poops out the, 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 the conversion yes. of the language into your ear. So the, the fish is essentially pooping into your, into your brain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, oh, that's why I love it to death. And there's actually a wonderful quote from the book where they say that a guy made himself famous by proving the non-existence of God based on the existence of the babble fish. Yeah. He said that... Um, you know, God says that he doesn't give proof for himself because proof denies faith, and faith is the source of his existence. And he says, well, didn't you let it go with the babblefish? <laughs> it's like something so amazingly convenient couldn't have evolved by chance. Yeah. So clearly there's proof that you exist. And, he's, and God says, oh, I guess you're right, and vanishes in a puff of logic. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love him. It's because he takes things that shouldn't work together, and he's just like, I'm just going to throw this in there just to poke somebody's, to piss somebody off. And you don't, this man... His whole life consisted of like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna piss somebody off? That's why I love him into death. I think this is one of the most hysterical books that was ever written. Uh, I guess. What are some of your other favorite bits and bobs? The um, the, some of the favorite things that I've done uh, that I remember. Obviously, Tal. I remember um, the uh, Pan Galactic Garble Blaster. Yes. The, the world's strong. The, the, the I'm sorry. The galaxy's strongest drink. Yes, I know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy gives you a recipe for it and yep. a list of places you can re- rehabilitate afterwards. Yes, they got that. Um, <laughs> trying to think of what else. I, I mean, we've covered all the really fun things. Like I love the whale and the and the bull of petunias. Mm-hmm. Pagonias, sorry. Um, what else uh, was there? Do you there? remember how man ranked in the intelligence on the planet? No, I don't know. I mean, humans were actually... Oh, that's the, right. Because the mice, the dolphins... And, and then, then humans. And then humans. We were third. We were third, yeah. Um, they said that... Uh, here's another quote from the book. For instance, on the planet Earth, man had always assumed he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much. The wheel, New York, wars, and so on. Well, the dolphins had ever... Well, while all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water and have a good time. But conversely, the dolphins always believed that they were far more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. Exactly. <laughs> And that's that's actually funny because that's isn't that the second book so long and thanks for all the fish. That's the, the third third book, yeah. And so that's where they kind of like go off of like, hey, some of the dolphins, the dolphins are actually an intelligent race that actually got out of there mm-hmm. off the planet beforehand. And so they kind of like bring them in. And you're like, seriously, he's gonna make dolphins and intelligent? I, I, I love it to death. So yes. So that's another one of those things. So, um, but what was what was some other things you have in there? Um. Oh, there's so much good stuff. Uh, what do what do you what do you see in there? Well, the bowl of petunias was a good one. Uh, yeah, 
Oh, okay. We'll finish with one more quote. This is okay. This is one of the better quotes from the book too. It says, "It is known that there are an infinite number of worlds, simply because there is an infinite amount of space for them to be in. However, not every one of them is inhabited. Therefore, there must be a finite number of inhabited worlds. Any finite number divided by infinity is as near to nothing as makes no odds. So, the average population of all planets in the universe can be said to be zero." From this it follows that the population of the whole universe is also zero, and that any people you may meet from time to time are merely the products of a deranged imagination. <laughs> and it's like coming back and he's poking fun at himself. I love that. Oh, I think I, that's a good note to end on with these books. That, that, is, mm, that is truly good. So, so needless to say, I, I would have to say that between James and I, I, I mean, this is probably, like I said, one of our favorite books of all times. In, in the top... Where would you rank here? Would you put in your top ten books of all time? Probably. I put it in my top ten. Yeah, it's, it's up there do. with stuff like Dune. I mean, this is a good book. And even though he didn't really, did he do a lot of other stuff afterwards? I know he wrote the Dirk Gently series. It's a series yeah. of like detective comic books, and I know he did other stuff too. But those are the only two that come to mind right so now. So they actually came out with the Dirk Gently um, uh, Hello Hello Holistic Detective Agency. That's what it's called. Yes. So if you guys ever want to check that, it's in my opinion, it's not as good as Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's still good. It's also a comedy, but it's like a detective comedy. Yeah, it's thing. it's still good. It's just not as good as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in my opinion. Yeah. But they, I know they did an adaptation, BBC adaptation of that, as well as a, an American ver- English version of that, where they've got actually Elijah Woods in it, of all people. Which wow, is, really? I, yeah, it's yeah, it's weird. So, um, but if you want to get into Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they are actually doing another television adaptation right now. Yep, it's going to come out in 2021. Yep. Who's and, uh, uh, do you know who's who? I don't. I recall there were some big names in it, and I should have written them down for us. Do you know who? What the production company is? Who's doing it no, at all? None of that. Probably Netflix. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, let me pull that up and see. I don't know if I don't know if I'd want Netflix doing it. I think honestly, if um, if. if the like HBO got a hold of it. Uh, 20- it's actually Hulu. Hulu's developing it. Hulu? Yep. Hulu How did they get a hold of that? That's a wonderful question. I I did not see that I coming. Hulu was doing original stuff. Uh, let's see. It looks at it looks like Carlton Coos and Jason Fuchs is going to be do are going to be directing it. Mm-hmm. Um, let me look and see if they've already got it set to release next year. There should be a cast that's available for us to see, or at least some of it now. I, I, you, that's what I would think so, but I don't, I don't know. That would be kind of sad if they didn't put in like that. Let's see, Hitchhiker's Guide Galaxy, uh, Hulu. Do they even have it on here? I don't know if they have it on here. No, they don't even have it yet. That's kind of makes me sad a little bit. So, because I would really, really love to see who is going to be in it. Uh, looks like Carlton Cruz is co-writing from Jack Ryan and Lost is writing along with Jason Fuchs, who did Ice Age, Continental Drift, and Wonder Woman. Oh, I could do that. Would be um, nothing. That, Wonder Woman's really production good. Production started this summer in Elstree Studios in the United Kingdom. Okay. It says it's coming out in 2021. Multiple seasons have apparently been planned. Ooh. So maybe they will cover all the books. That'd be kind of nice. Maybe they're going to finish all the books. I don't have any actors yet, but... Well, because as far as I know, they really haven't, in film adaptations at least, they have not, they haven't really gone past the first book, really, that much. Not that I'm aware of, no. Because I don't don't even think in the BBC, the original BBC adaptation, like uh, television adaptation, they didn't go past the first book from what I remember. I don't believe so. And that's one of the reasons I liked the BBC television adaptation was I thought it covered more of the material. Mm-hmm. Because it was like a six-episode like TV miniseries, so it's like six hours long. Yeah. 
And uh, unlike the, you know, the theatrical movie, which, while well, it was a much higher production hour, quality, was hour, only like an hour and a half. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So I do think a television series would be a good medium for this because they could get out a lot more of the information. Well, I think that's anything, though. And I mean, unlike something like, say, Dune, which has had some infamously kind of terrible TV adaptations. Hey, you leave Sting alone, okay? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hitting on Sting in particular. <laughs> the, very, the very cerebral, philosophical aspects of sci-fi don't translate very well. No. But The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there's a lot of gag humor in it. There's a lot. They oh. could have easily have a narrator fill in some of the funnier spoken words, and I think it'd be really good. That's true. I don't know. The, new, uh, the newer... Uh, Adaptation of the, the guide, the guidebook bits of the movie were actually the best parts. Well, because they kind of like they bring it out. And it looks like a computer screen, and they like do 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 do. That yeah, like, was the best parts of the yeah. movie was the guidebook bits. See, I remember, I remember that. I remember watching that because I remember that was the second thing I I got after listening to the to the audiobook is I went and got the they have the the VHSs of the <laughs> BBC film. I remember watching it. And I'm thinking, I remember watching this and like and I was like. Like you said, freshman year of high school, I'm like, this is so bad. <laughs> but, but I'm so like, but I watched every minute of it because it was just so like out there. So yeah, but I love that kind of stuff. That was so. the thing. I remember watching it too and thinking it was bad, and like, oh, and six episodes later, <laughs> yeah, six every yeah, you kind of get sucked like a into it a little episode. Bit. Six hours later, <laughs> that's exactly right. one hour later. <laughs> I love it. So I'm kind of hoping they do that with that with that kind of stuff. Hopefully, they can kind of flesh things out and, and put as much of the uh, original. content content in there as because you can kind of see that with a lot of other things like i don't know if you watched um so there because i think the content and the jokes are pretty timeless like they, they can yeah. update some of the material like you know the joke we started the whole thing off on about smart watches they could make that into iWatches or whatever they could yeah they can update it, it wouldn't a take bit. a lot of effort to minimally update it and, and really he really did it. as the thing is a lot of the stuff that they 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 have he has the content that he has in the books it's easily updatable just all you have to do is a little bit of tweaks nothing like, serious like all really great comedy most of it's really observation about humanity and humanity doesn't change no no we just get we just get a little bit fancier looking and maybe have some uh more expensive jewelry or hair wear whatever it is but we're essentially the same it's it's Mm -hmm. yeah whoever's who's got the bigger club it's what it comes down to it sometimes so but uh but yeah that's i'm interested to see what they do because i like a lot of the things that like that hulu's done like i don't know if you've watched man in the high castle or not that was a really good adaptation of um Oh, who who did that? Um, that he does Skinner Darkly and a couple other things too. Guy that was super paranoid. I can't remember his name. Okay, but anyways, he they did they did a really good adaptation, but they kind of stretched it out for three mm-hmm. three seasons too. So they actually added a little bit extra stuff in there because he. That was kind of a weird time travel, multi-dimensional kind of hmm. book. If you ever get bored and you want to watch something really weird that's kind of bizarre, Man of High Castle is really good. So, okay. but um, but yeah. So, fingers crossed for the Hulu series. I might, I will definitely probably jump into that. But uh, um, I think that kind of like sums up everything, and we've kind of mm-hmm. like shot our bolt, or at least uh, we've uh, stuck our thumb out, and we're getting a, we're hitching a ride off of this right. this this podcast. So we, we've used our sub ether like pointer to stick our virtual thumb out. <laughs> That's right, and, and and yeah, we've definitely hit the improbability of this. Uh, <laughs> of this episode it's gone past it so um guys again i want to thank james for showing up and and really lending his expertise for this episode Mm -hmm. i know he had a lot of fun with this Mm -hmm. um and again guys if you like this kind of stuff let us know you know we're we're hitting kind of broad topics here you want us to want us to hit something specific like if you want us to go over the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy video game text-based game we can do it i'll play it 
That's right. We'll play the crap out of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stream it on Twitch if you want. Yeah, to. we'll do whatever you want us to do for it. But <laughs> just let us know what you guys are feeling. And 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 seriously, hit us up at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you guys feel comfortable for. Um, and hopefully, uh, we will have a, a myriad of things coming for you in the future. I think we've got, uh, like James and I were saying earlier, we've got a, a possible Maiden Abyss. Uh, or maybe some Demon Slayer episodes coming up, but we've mm-hmm. got a, an idea of what we want to get done. But again, guys, if you have any topics that you want us to cover, just hit us up, let us know. So, James, again, thanks for showing up and, and like I said, lending me your towel as we <laughs> hitch, hitch across this this wonderful IP. So. Ooh. I know. <laughs> Sharing hey. towels, that's not an image I needed. That's okay. I got rid of all my STDs years ago. Anyways, guys, <laughs> thanks for showing, in, showing up and, and stopping in. So, thanks, guys. Have a wonderful day. Bye. If you're interested in keeping up to date with new episodes on our channel, add us on any of your favorite podcasting apps, or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Seriously Pointless Conversations. If you have questions or concerns, please email us at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com. We appreciate any feedback. Thank you for listening to our show.